0: Welcome back to this week's episode of The Emily Show. Today, we are talking about juror 50 from the Maxwell trial. If you have not been following along with this in the news, so much has happened. It's been a wild few months of litigation since Glenn Maxwell was convicted of five out of six charged counts. Well, tried counts because there's two that are still hanging out there, but we'll get to those in a little bit on December 30th. So, you know, we are just, we are in for it. This issue. The motion for new trial because of things Juror 50 has said in the press is coming up for hearing on March 8th. I am recording this before that hearing, but there will be an addendum after if the judge makes any rulings of significance at the end of this episode. This is going to be a summary episode breaking down everything you need to know, what is happening, why it's happening, what it means, what happens next, what the standard of the law is, and really what caused all the problems. It is... I've never seen anything quite like this, and I can't stop talking about it. I'm fascinated. I'm horrified. I'm very interested to see if the judge does what I think the judge is going to do, and I can't wait to explain to you why. So, juror 50, WTF, buddy, we've got to talk about this because it is a mess. Let's just... Let's just get into it. Hey there, welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer, and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you wanna talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years, I'm a former prosecutor, and I'm a big fan of the Cursey Words. So let's break it down. a huge thank you to today's sponsor, Green Chef, not just for sponsoring this episode of The Emily Show, but also for making healthy meals so darn easy. Not only do they take care of the prep and the recipes, but they do the grocery shopping too and send it all Directly to your door. Green Chef is a CCOF certified meal kit company and it makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. So, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, or gluten free, or just looking for balanced meals, they have something for you. And I will say, if you're looking to try out a different eating style, it's a great way to see what the options are in meals that are either keto or paleo, or vegetarian, or gluten-free. And they also work with allergies. They've worked so well with mine. <laughs> so easy to just know that the food that's coming is going to be delicious, and it's going to be easy to prepare. So easy, in fact, that my kids help us do it, and they eat it. Yes. it. When I say family-friendly... It has been family friendly for us. So if you are looking for deliciousness delivered, Green Chef is a great choice. Not only do they have premium proteins and organic ingredients that you can trust, but the menus are always changing and they offer 35 nutritious and flavorful options to choose from each and every week featuring premium clean ingredients that are seasonally sourced for peak freshness. With my link and code, you can get $130 off your order plus free shipping. Go to greenchef.com slash emilybaker130 and use code emilybaker130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. That's right. Just greenchef.com slash emilybaker130 and use code emilybaker130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. Find out for yourself why Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating Wow. And let me know what meals you're trying. We need to get back into today's case. So let's just do that. We just need to make today easy because it has, the last few weeks have been so wild, not just with everything going on in Ukraine, but personally, like, Cosmically, I don't know. Stuff has happened. So much legal has happened. If you are not following along over on YouTube, that is where I break things down multiple times a week. Just once a week here on the podcast, Um, and we are almost at two hundred thousand subscribers. So, you, if you just listen on the podcast, you might enjoy popping a YouTube video on in the background. Some of those streams lately have gotten quite long because there's so much law. There's stuff going on with the Cardi B and Tasha K case. We've had a lot going on. With the post-trial motions in the Duggar case, there's been stuff going on in the Ryan Kavanaugh, Ethan Klein, H3 podcast, defamation case, so much legal. But today we are talking about a very different kind of a motion for new trial because it's regarding the behavior of a juror. Generally, the standard, well, not generally, always, the standard for a new trial after a criminal conviction is very, very high, especially when it involves potential juror misconduct. And you will hear things come up every now and then that normally involves what happened in jury deliberations and in the jury room. But this isn't that case, even though the news makes it seem like it is. So maybe we're also behind the headlines today too, because the news has made it seem like this is all about what juror 50 said in deliberations. And that is a part of the story, but it's not the most legally significant part of this story. The legally significant part of this story is what juror 50 did or did not say on their juror questionnaire before Wadir started, The, the picky guessy choosy, it's one of my favorite former colleagues used to call it, before you pick a jury, before the attorneys or the court get to question jurors, This case and many other high profile cases, particularly in federal cases, have a juror questionnaire to narrow down the amount of jurors. They called in over 700 jurors for this case and they narrowed them down by questionnaire to see who would come in and be questioned by the court to make sure that they can be fair and impartial jurors, as is a defendant's constitutional right. So, what juror 50 did or did not say on the juror questionnaire is the heart of the issue here. So, a rough timeline, if you will. We can't really go through a timeline without talking a little bit about Epstein because even though he is, you know, not the one being prosecuted due to him being deceased, this case still is directly linked and connected to him and his behavior. He was arrested in July of 2019. In August of 2019, he was no longer alive. In July 2020, Maxwell was arrested. On November 29th, 2021, this trial began with jury selection On December 29th, I think I said the 30th earlier, apologies. On December 29th, the jury returned a verdict convicting Maxwell of five of the six counts that were tried. Now, I say five of the six that were tried because there are two perjury counts that were not tried in connection with these counts that are related to uh, conspiracy, trafficking, and enticement to traffic. If you want a whole breakdown of this case, there is a playlist over on YouTube that has me going through the indictment, the jury instructions, some of the other litigation that's happened. But for our purposes today, we're really focusing on juror 50 and what they seem to have done based on all of the filings in court. And we are going to talk about those filings in just a minute. So she was convicted on five of six counts. She was not convicted of count two. That was a not guilty count. That was an enticement of an individual under the age of 17 as to one particular victim. That count, even if this motion for new trial is granted, that count will not be retried. Jeopardy has attached. She was acquitted. No more bites at the apple for anyone But if the motion for new trial is granted, then she will be retried or she can be retried. It's up to the prosecution, in this case, the AUSAs to decide, but she can be retried on the other five counts that she was convicted of. So she's convicted on December 29th. And just a few days later, juror 50 starts talking to the press, including the Independent and the Daily Mail. It really is the Daily Mail interviews because there's also video that I have watched that becomes the heart of this matter because you get to see it happen in real time. So what's really the issue here? The issue is that juror 50 did not indicate on their juror questionnaire that they had been a prior victim of sexual assault. Why does this matter so much? That jury questionnaire gives the attorneys and the court the basis to ask the questions that are needed to determine if a juror can sit fairly on a jury. In the defense motion for new trial, they have attached as exhibits both the juror questionnaire showing that juror 50 did not select the yes answer, and we'll go over that in just a second, but also the transcript from the voir dire where the court was inquiring of the juror and did not get into that area of questioning because the juror had selected no. But in the transcript, the court asked the way courts, I've never seen a court not ask in all of the jury trials that I have done at the end the court asks is there anything else that you need to tell me that you could not be a fair and impartial jury is there or juror is there anything that i i didn't ask but that you need to share they always give jurors an opportunity if there's like oh by the way it might be relevant that this happened to me or that i've had that experience or that i have a non refundable plane ticket to somewhere in 3 days like something there's always an opportunity for jurors to share if there's that one more thing. And this voirier was taking place partly because of COVID, but I think partly because of the topic, a juror by juror. They were coming into the courtroom one by one, not like so many state trials where you have, well, COVID is going to change all of this, but where you have the gallery seats full of potential jurors, the jury box full of potential jurors, and you go down the line and ask them questions. And then if they have something sensitive or private to share, that you go to sidebar or go back into a back hallway or um, sometimes chambers and have that conversation with the court reporter and the attorneys and the juror. Here they were just questioning the jurors in the courtroom one at a time after the juror questionnaire. In the defense motion for new trial, they included all of this. I had supposed that this was the case because of the way this all went down. After the juror started giving interviews, the prosecution very swiftly brought this to the court's attention. So remember, they convicted on December 29th. On January 5th, the government notifies the court about these interviews saying, the government has become aware that a juror has given several interviews to press outlets regarding his jury service in this case. While the court instructed jurors that they are free to discuss their jury service with anyone of their choosing, some of the statements as related to the media merit attention by the court. In particular, the juror has described being a victim of sexual abuse. Assuming the accuracy of the reporting, the juror asserted that he quote unquote flew through the prospective juror questionnaire and does not recall being asked whether he had been the victim of sexual abuse, but stated that he, quote, would have answered that honestly, based on the foregoing the government believes that the court should conduct an inquiry. Here's what I supposed then, and well, now we know, but I supposed then that the reason that the government was bringing this to the court's attention is because the government looked at the juror questionnaire in their hot little hands and went, Um, that doesn't seem right. Like, we've seen the interview, and I'll play that clip of the interview because it's centrally relevant to this. Um, but the government would have remembered a juror bringing that up in this type of case. And that's not to say somebody who has been a victim of this type of assault or abuse can't be a juror. It's just that on a case where the facts might line up closely, it might not be a a right fit and there may be implicit bias there even if there's not explicit bias there where a juror might be like yeah I can be fair and the defense is like mm, we don't believe that at all we don't think that this juror can be fair or the juror can say I I I can be fair on a you know credit card fraud case but this is not the this is not the case for me this is too close to what I've experienced to sit here and be fair and impartial to someone which is okay Jurors just need to be honest. And again, somebody who's a victim of identity theft might not want to sit on an identity theft case because they're like, "Look, fuck those people. I don't want. I I know what I went through. I know what they're going to go through. I can't do this." And that is perfectly all right. But it has to be disclosed to the lawyers so that it can be asked about. If it's not disclosed, it can't be asked about. And this might never have been known if this juror wasn't giving. Um, numerous press interviews where they talked very openly about their own experience and what happened in the deliberation room. But the court has now granted an inquiry that is going to happen on March 8th. And the inquiry is not about what happened in the juror deliberation room, because this juror indicated in media reports that their own experience and their discussion of their own experience was able to persuade other jurors that Maxwell was guilty and that the victim's memory was not an issue in this case because of the experience of being a victim of this type of assault or abuse. But not answering the juror questionnaire accurately deprives the attorneys, particularly the defense attorney, of the opportunity to ask questions regarding any potential bias because of the nature of the charges in this case. And that can be grounds for a new trial. And while the standard is very high, this juror has said a lot, like a lot, like a lot of the talky things. And we now have in public after numerous rounds of litigation over what needs to be redacted, we now have the juror questionnaire. If you're not watching on the YouTubes, I will describe it to you. If you want to see the juror questionnaire, it is on the YouTubes at Emily D. Baker. But in the most relevant question, question number 48 asks, have you or a friend or family member ever been the victim of sexual harassment, sexual abuse, or sexual assault? And then in parentheses says this includes actual or attempted sexual assault or other unwanted sexual advance, including by a stranger, acquaintance, supervisor, teacher, or family member. And then there are three options. One says yes, and then in parentheses says self. One says yes, in parentheses, friend or family member. And the other says no. And this is checked out no very prominently and clearly. It then goes on for multiple other questions 48A, B, and C talking about this saying, if yes, without listing names, please explain. If your answer to 48 was yes, do you believe that this would affect your ability to serve fairly and impartially as a juror on this case? He answered nothing on those questions. 48C, if yes to 48B, please explain. So there's adequate room to discuss this particular question. And the end of this particular jury form has lines and lines of paper at the end to fill out information. This juror did not add any additional information. The juror form also says at the beginning the nature of this case. So it's not as if, if you didn't know the name Glenn Maxwell, or if you'd never heard of Jeffrey Epstein, that you don't know what the charges in this case are, because the beginning of the juror questionnaire tells the jurors what the charges are here so they are aware. This should have already been in this juror's mind. This juror did tell media outlets that they flew through it, but there was no time crunch here. They were given quite a reasonable amount of time to fill this out according to all the motions that have been filed in court. And they do talk about um, the case. And the juror questionnaire says at the beginning the charges in the indictment stem from allegations that from at least 1994 through 2004 the defendant conspired with and aided and abetted epstein to entice minors to travel to engage in criminal sexual activity to transport minors to engage in criminal sexual activity and to engage in sex trafficking of a minor it they they split zero of the hairs on that so if you read the summary of the case you know what this what the case is about. So it's very interesting to me that this juror was um very proud of the fact that Maxwell was convicted. And that's my interpretation of watching the interviews and reading the, the reports. This juror said that this was a conviction for all victims everywhere. However, if this motion is granted, well, we'll talk about what that will that will look like in a few minutes. But The heart of the issue again is not that this juror said they used their experience to persuade other jurors. It's that they didn't disclose that history and that history couldn't be asked about. The standard that the defense has cited in their papers and the prosecution didn't really argue that much against is whether the juror's answering of that question would rise to the level of there being a challenge for cause or a peremptory challenge of the juror. It's clear that this juror would have been questioned further about that behavior. In the defense motion, there is a large section that is redacted out, and there was lots of litigation over what would and would not be redacted when these um, documents came out from under seal and went into the public record. There was a lot under seal. From the context, it seems that what's under seal is conversation of another juror who disclosed that they had had this type of experience in their past, and they were excused either by peremptory challenge or for cause. I keep saying these words, and I have not stopped to explain them. A peremptory challenge, and this varies by the type of case, the number of defendants, but each side gets a certain number of peremptories to use where they can excuse a juror for any lawful reason. If we want to get into jury selection another day, we can, and I'll talk about what lawful reasons are. But you can excuse a juror for any lawful purpose, no explanation. When it comes for cause, you are asking the court to excuse that juror because they cannot sit as a fair and impartial juror. You get a juror that looks at you and be, on a DUI case, not that I'm speaking from experience, but I am, well, he sits there and looks at you on a DUI case and is like, well, I think that this particular police department just pulls over everyone for DUI. They just, They just harass people all the time. And you're sitting there with that particular police department with somebody arrested for DUI. And you look at this juror and go that, well, could you be fair on this case? Of course I can be fair. I mean, I think this particular police department sucks. It's like, well, all your witnesses are going to be police. Maybe this person should be excused for cause. And 99% of judges I know would have excused that person for cause. This particular judge Um, was horrible and didn't. And uh, guess what? That jury hung 11 to one for guilt. And the juror, who hated this particular police department, smirked at me as they walked out. They literally smirked. Smirked. (sighs) Yep. So anyway, um, challenges matter and challenges for cause matter. Uh, Judges matter. (laughs) That's sad. I will rein it back in from my own personal experience and the fact that I am still bitter over that 11 to one hang. Some things we take, some things we take with us, you know, we're going to let it go. But these are the types of things that matter. And when judges make mistakes, these mistakes can go up on appeal. And obviously in a DUI case, it is not a, a, I should say a misdemeanor DUI case is not um, of the gravity that this case carrying a 40, it's 40 to 45 years to life is what the potential sentences in this case with some very, very serious charges and a defendant with the money to take this up on appeal over and over. So I think even if the judge doesn't grant this motion, which again, we'll get to, um, this will go up on appeal. So with that, what did this juror say? And I am going to play just a small bit of their interview. I will link all of the media links for their interviews down below, the ones that were shared in the defense and the government motions. What was so interesting, as I soliloquy, and then I'll play it, but as I soliloquy, what is so interesting is that the defense had a whole different take on why the prosecution brought this to the court's attention and thought that the prosecution brought this to the court's attention to like signal to juror 50, like, danger, danger, Will Robinson, danger. <laughs> Uh, uh, uh. this is not okay. Back up, back up, back up. But in the time between then and now when the government filed that motion, I did say there was a lot of litigation. Juror 50 has an attorney. Juror 50's attorney has indicated that they will plead the fifth, tried to exercise their right against self-incrimination at this hearing on March 8th. The government indicated that they are going to try to seek immunity for this juror so they will not presumably be prosecuted for perjury on their jury form by answering it inaccurately. And the court today denied that letter request of like, I'm giving you notice that we are going to plead the fifth. And the court was like, no, no. You have stated no grounds. So it seems to me that juror 50 is not going to take the direction of, oh, I lied to the media. This has been misreported. This wasn't it. It seems like juror 50 made an error on this verdict form and does not want to have to testify under oath about making that error on a form that was signed under penalty of perjury. Now, can people, can you be prosecuted for perjury for this? Yes. Would a juror be prosecuted for perjury over this? I don't know. But that seems to be why um, they might want to plead the fifth. But you can't exercise your Fifth Amendment right to everything. It's like you get up on the stand and the judge is like, hi, so are you juror number 50? I plead the fifth. It doesn't work like it works on Watch What Happens Live. It's a question by question inquiry. And then the judge has to rule if they actually have right against self-incrimination if the, the answer to be elicited could actually be something that could land them in trouble criminally. So a lot might go down on the 8th, but the inquiry into juror 50, I agree with the court and the court's reasoning that they need to know, was juror 50 telling the truth on their juror verdict form? Or were they telling the truth to the media? And I know some of you might be like, was this person, did they do this to get on the jury? Did they were they like wanting to be a judicial or a jury activist where they wanted to get on the jury and they wanted this person to be convicted and they they just wanted to be on a media case and they wanted to go give um, you know interviews and and have their name in the news? It doesn't matter for the court. Like the purpose behind it, the intent behind it doesn't matter. Did you tell the truth on the jury verdict form is what matters most. Why that happened, how that happened isn't the most relevant inquiry. So it'll be interesting to see, but even if it was a mistake as opposed to being intentional, even if it was a mistake, the impact may be the same and the impact may be substantially detrimental. So let us uh roll this video from Juror50 talking to the Daily Mail with some of my interjections. What I will note, for those of you just listening to this, there is a part where Juror50 says, you know, I can feel the blood. He gets very, very red in the face. Um, And even at the low quality, no dig to the Daily Mail, but even at the low quality resolution of this video you can see it you decided to share your story presumably that's something that you'd tick yes to in the questionnaire it was something that people were aware of when you were selected as a juror the interviewer asked you decided to share your experience so obviously that's something you ticked yes to in your questionnaire no they don't ask your uh sexual abuse history they didn't ask it in the questionnaire I thought in the questionnaire, there was a question that asked if you were a victim or if you were a friend or a victim. And now he starts looking sideways going, what? Because of course, at this point, the media all has the jury questionnaire. It's part of the official record. So they know that there are at least two questions because question number 25 also alludes to this. But question number 48 asks it point blank period. Have you or a friend family member been a victim and they list the different types sexual harassment sexual abuse sexual assault pretty sure it's number 48 and he's looking askance going um i don't remember somebody sent me the questionnaire today and there was a question interesting i mean i guess when did you fill in that questionnaire? i definitely on the first day of jury selection I would have definitely marked yes, but I honestly don't remember that question. You're, you're not in the sun right now. Don't no, worry. no. The interviewer said you're not in the sun right now, and he's like, "No, no," and it's because he is getting beat red in in this. And again, I have a lower quality version. I'm sure it was more perceptible to the interviewer who is commenting on the fact that this individual is turning red. No, no. I I mean, I know my face is red because I can feel the blood, but I honestly, that's why I answered it that way. I don't remember it being there, but um, I did answer, I definitely remember a family or relative or something, but uh, being sexually abused. I was honest on all my questions. We now have that jury questionnaire. So we know that he selected no. We know that he has shared this experience. So that's what it is. And it is a massive problem. What happens next with this case? Well, there is going to be an inquiry into juror number 50. The defense had moved... Days ago, the defense had asked for this hearing to be put over for two months, and the court was like, that, there's no way that's happening. That was denied. This hearing is beginning promptly, promptly on March 8th. Whether the judge takes this under submission to make a finding, we will see. Whether the judge issues a ruling on the motion for new trial, which is entirely based on juror 50, we will see. So this is a first step. We might have a definitive ruling. We might have a next step where the court says, okay, now that we've inquired as to juror number 50, now that we know for sure under oath that juror number 50 has said that what they indicated on the juror form is inaccurate, now the defense can more thoroughly flush that out and make their full motion for new trial. Or the judge can say, look, the defense has made their point, not just for an inquiry, but has made their motion for new trial, which they have. Um, We have now inquired of juror 50. Juror 50 was not truthful on their verdict form, and therefore we are granting the motion for new trial. I can very really see that happening. The thing that's so frustrating is juror 50 gave a ton of information in these interviews. And in the longer video that I watched from Daily Mail, really talked about the inner workings of the jury room and how they deliberated. So if this motion for new trial is granted, and this has to go to trial again, retrials are hard on victims. Retrials are hard on attorneys too, but nobody needs to feel sorry for them. At least they're getting paid to be there. Retrials are really hard on victims because not only are there now uh, potentially deposition and initial interview transcripts, but now you have transcripts of the first trial. Some of these victims testified for days. Um, He said that one of the victims' testimony was over 500 pages of transcripts long. That's a lot of testimony. So the jurors don't know, but what the attorneys know is that the victims can then be confronted with all of that past testimony if they get any detail different Um, than what they said in the first trial. The more transcripts there are, the harder it is for victims and for civilian witnesses, for expert witnesses, not as much um, because they're familiar with testifying. But it's also going to be interesting to see how this goes because so much of what the jury thought was relevant is disclosed in these interviews. The defense and the and the prosecution too, but the defense is in a better position to defend because they now know what issues the jury had. And they now know that this particular juror really turned the other jurors around and that this could very realistically have been a hung jury because a lot of people did not a hundred percent believe, um, the victims in this case, based on this jurors testimony and whether you agree or disagree with it, we haven't seen all of the evidence. It's a federal case and we're not in that jury room, but there were real questions about the victim credibility in the jury room. And that's something that this juror disclosed and brought up when discussing it, which again, gives the defense more insight when going through this trial, but also gives the prosecution more insight when going through this trial. So not only is it a potential that these victims will have to testify again, but it's going to be a harder road with testimony in a retrial. Retrials are miserable. They're miserable. Miserable. Emily, are you having flashbacks? Yes, I'm having flashbacks of binders and binders and binders of testimony from a case that I did that was a conviction on a third trial. So trial First retrial, second retrial, three—it retri- was a lot. It was a lot of. Tr- it was a lot of trial. But you do go back and re-strategize as the prosecution if you need to, and the defense does as well. And and that's really my point here is that this juror, who said in their interviews that this was a conviction for all victims everywhere, is going to potentially put these victims through substantially more um, duress than they would have been through otherwise. And that I think. At the end of the day, is something that's really disappointing to me because again, the defendant is going to stay in custody if this is granted. The defendant is going to be tried again, uh, if possible. And this is going to just this is going to just happen again and may be convicted, maybe a hung jury. And if it hangs, then it may be retried again. So this juror thinking that they've done a service really hasn't. However, I'm of two minds on this. Like I am of so many things because the defendant has the right to a fair and impartial jury and no one should be convicted outside of their constitutional rights. And if this juror lied on their jury, well, lied, either lied by accident, lied by omission or lied intentionally. If this juror was mistaken on their jury verdict forms and did not disclose, Why am I couching this? I don't know. I'm trying not to be just like, what the fuck? But also I'm kind of feeling like, what the fuck? So maybe we'll just not try so hard. This juror indicated no. And then they said in the media that that was not true. So their answer on their juror verdict form and their statements to the media don't line up. If they indicated the wrong thing on their juror verdict form, it is a very real possibility that the defendant gets a new trial, as is their constitutional right to have a fair and impartial jury. And if they can't inquire with the jurors about their experiences because the jurors failed to disclose that, either willfully or accidentally, then somebody's been convicted with their constitutional rights not being fully adhered to. And that's not okay either. Even when we don't like the defendant, even when we don't like their actions, they have rights that are guaranteed to protect them. And that has to be adhered to by everyone in the process, including the jurors. So don't let this freak you out ahead of going to jury duty. Just realize that you need to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You know, like when you sign shit under penalty of perjury to the court, in a very high profile case I hope that this breakdown was helpful uh if you if there is a ruling of significance, I will do an addendum right now it's me from the future, though when you're watching slash listening to this, it will be me from the past juror 50 testified today in court, and we have initial reports. I will link some of those news articles down below for you. And one new document has been uploaded on the court's website, but I am still waiting for minute orders and things like that to come out, which will probably come out after the recording, possibly in time for the release of this episode. And I will share those on social media. So again, at the Emily D Baker, if you'd like to see those. So let's get into what happened today. Juror 50 was questioned by the court about whether or not they had lied on their juror questionnaire. And this is what the judge asked. The judge asked whether his answer to question number 48 was accurate. And his response, according to lawandcrime.com, was no, it is not. The court then asked what is an accurate answer to that question. And he said, yes, for self, the court, um, asked if he had told anyone about, uh, his abuse. And he said he didn't for several years. They questioned him about that a little bit more. And the judge asked how he can reconcile the statement with him granting interviews to three international news organizations, because he did testify that he didn't or doesn't, I don't tell many people about his sexual abuse. And the courts were like, well, if you don't tell many people, you were giving international news organizations interviews. And he said that the victims of the Maxwell case inspired him. And he felt that if they could be brave enough, then he could be brave enough to take that step and share his story. The court has ordered that both sides file written arguments or additional briefing with regard to the testimony by March 15th. So what I imagine is we will see the defense again, arguing that this verdict has to be overturned and the motion for new trial has to be granted. The prosecution arguing that even though the juror was not honest on his juror verdict, verdict, juror questionnaire, that It doesn't rise to the level of overturning the verdict and that this juror said he could be fair and impartial. I still don't see how we get around this case getting overturned. I just don't see how we get around it. I don't. I will be very interested to see what the briefing from the attorneys has to say. I will keep you updated on that briefing. And hopefully by the end of March, we will have a ruling from the court on what is going to happen. Remember, Maxwell's sentencing is set for June. So her attorneys are going to want a ruling on this ahead of them getting prepared for sentencing memorandum etc. Either we're going to sentencing or we're going to trial again, and they are going to want to know what's happening as well. So I think the additional briefing is really just going to cover now that we know for a fact that juror 50 lied on this questionnaire, what next? What's interesting is this morning before the hearing started, the court did grant this juror immunity And the U.S. Attorney's Office offered this juror immunity so that he wouldn't be prosecuted for perjury on the juror questionnaire. So he was granted immunity. He did not plead the fifth. He indicated that he made a mistake and that the mistake he says was inadvertent. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on all of this. I still think this is going to get overturned. I do. I don't like it at all, but I think that's what's going to happen. All right, we'll see what happens next. If you want fast updates on things that are happening in the law, please follow me on social media at the Emily D Baker on Twitter and Instagram. I also share these things in my community tab on YouTube. So you will see little posts throughout YouTube with the topics that I cover when they happen quickly. I try to get something out in in, in an Instagram reel or a Twitter post to share with you the latest Kind of breaking legal stuff before there's either another episode of the podcast or another live stream. If you are in North America and want the fastest information, join the text crew at textemily.com. And those are all the places around the interwebs to find me. I hope that this episode finds you well. And I hope that the summary episodes worked well for you. These are a little shorter than my normal episodes where I do more of a deep dive, but I hope the summary of like You know, what's the timeline? What's the issue? Why are we here? What happens next? If you like that format, I'm going to try to bring them to some of the bigger topics that we've been covering just so I can cram everything that's going on into a more succinct format. Let me know what you think, either in the comments down below, in a review on iTunes, or on social media. And with that, I'm going to grab some water and mind my business. And I'm going to say a cheers. So say it with me. Drink water and mind my business. Look, I love that meme. It's my favorite meme of 2022 and 2021. Maybe, possibly, sure. Other than the oh no one, I love that one too, y'all. I I speak meme with my children. It's fantastic. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Juror fifty. Oh, that literally is what I heard in my head when the government filed this motion. It was that was what was in my head. It was oh no. Oh no, oh no, 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 no. If you don't spend enough time on social media, you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's totally fine. Meme. But that's what I heard in my head. Like, this is not what's happening right now. It feels like something out of the Twilight Zone. I have not seen that. I have not seen this. I think, though, in this day and age, media being what it is, social media being what it is, there is the potential to see this more. But if, this motion for new trial is granted. This is a case that should be taught in law schools and should be a cautionary tale for all attorneys everywhere, or at least all trial attorneys, (laughs) non-trial attorneys. The patent lawyers are like, we don't give a fuck. (laughs) All right. It is time to say goodbye. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a law nerd. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your gas not be $6 a gallon. May your family be well, and may the odds be ever in your favor. Take care, and I will talk to you in the next one.